Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Google is the best like psychic in the world, and it understands our behaviors. Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn the tools to use to identify if a niche is profitable, how to use the reviews on your competition's site to improve your product, and why you should interview influencers. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Brambilla from Kick Push Skate. Kick Push Skate is dedicated to providing retro hipster penny boards and gear and was started in 2016 and based on Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Welcome, Adrian. Tell us a bit more about your story. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. And my goal today is to try to provide as many insights as to how I launched Kick Push Skate as well as a couple of other e-commerce stores. And hopefully anyone listening can have some takeaway items to practice on their stores um, my trade or craft, I, I'm a lead generation uh, online marketer. And so my full background, I would say my quote unquote full-time job is I'm a partner in a marketing firm. Kick Push Skate is an experiment I launched in October of 2016, um, along with a couple other e-commerce sites, uh, really as a just test to see if I had the capability to break into a niche and honestly, at first, just try to profit and make a dollar from from scratch. So really the the website, uh, Kick Push Skate, is is an experiment, um, and uh, I'm excited to share some of the successes and the trends and the luck of timing that uh, kind of got to where it is today. Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of listeners out there have that same kind of little fire that comes inside where they want to see, can I make something? Can I create something that people will buy and and create something out of nothing like you're saying? So where did the, the idea come from behind this particular niche? Like, Why did you choose this one? Uh, typically with all the sites that I like to start on the side, I, I don't, the first instinct is uh, really, do I have a passion or do I simply enjoy doing something? So uh, for kick push skate, I love longboarding. That's exactly where it started. I love longboarding. I like uh, skating around and, and using um, penny boards, you know, just anything that gets me outside and, and cruising and enjoying um, the outside. That That's really where it started from. And then the nerd part of me kicks in after I, I have that passion to do. It really just starts with like research, keyword research, uh, trend research, um, uh, primarily using a Google to, to figure out is this a market where um, it's either overly competitive? Is it a market that's underutilized? Are the top performers in this market are they are they killing it in every regard? Where it you know it w- it wouldn't make sense for me to go into this market because it would take so much time, energy, and dollars to do that. So um, uh, when I when I did my research, I originally I, I longboards is is a very competitive market, but one avenue that I think is I saw on Google Trends that I was kind of picking up was um, uh, penny boards or, or really mini cruisers and short boards. So that's kind of where it started in October, um, is just through some research and then trying to, trying to figure out manufacturers here in the U S, um, and some overseas, uh, that make a good quality product, uh, that's worth skating around. And, and then the rest is 
just marketing after that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. I think this is a stage that, that a lot of people are definitely in or people got stuck in when they first got started, which is, is this worth investing my time into? Because the hesitation a lot with getting started is that no people have this fear of putting too much work, putting too much time into something that might not pan out in the first place. And then they usually abandon that idea and move on to the next one. And then kind of repeats the cycle. So talk to us about your exact process to identify if this was a, a right market now. So you mentioned a couple of tools. Do you mind just talking about each tool at a time and how you use it to identify if that was a, if this particular niche that you got into was worth your time? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, for disclaimer, I don't know if this is the right way to do it. This is my way that I've developed over time uh, from all the different places that I read and, and, and people that I look up to. And first, let me just say like, uh, my my day to day role is I I do marketing for businesses uh, primarily B two B and so I always had this thought in the back of my head um, that I think about is if I'm a good enough lead generation marketer I'm doing it for other businesses I should technically be able to pick any niche and attempt and try so mm-hmm. here's exactly where it starts it starts from the passion and and um, uh, my wife you've been married for uh, a year and eight months. And uh, a conversation usually starts like this. If I'm feeling the urge to try something, I'm like, hey, uh, sweetie, um, you know, maybe butter up. Like, you, you look so beautiful today. She's like, what? What do you want? And I'm like, okay, I want, fi- I need, I'm going to spend $500 max to try this idea. So $500 is my, is my make or break number. And I think um, everyone should have something like that, a budget set aside, if that's possible. Some people, I remember when I first started, when I graduated college, I had, uh, less than nothing uh, to try, but for right now, I think I think I five hundred dollars is a starting point. Where if I can't make that five hundred dollars back by the time I've spent it, um, then this idea is either not pursuable. I don't have the time. Uh, maybe it's timing, the place, um, you know, all the other factors that go in. So, um, it, so kick push skate was exact same scenario. I had a five hundred five hundred dollar budget to try to make uh, essentially my first sale. Um, the the specific tools that I like using. Um, is uh, Google AdWords Keyword Planner is a good one. I like Ahrefs um, or Ahrefs. I've never figured out. Everyone says it differently. Mm-hmm. Are you are you familiar with that tool, Felix? Yeah, yeah. A H R E F S. I call it Ahrefs. Okay, you do. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I love I love their keyword tool. It's awesome. Um, I use Moz, um, but I think from a starting out standpoint, there's two things I'll look into. First, overall traffic data. Second, uh, competition level, which um, you can uh, for, if if people are aren't familiar with keyword planner, they just literally rate the competition on a one to one hundred scale. Uh, so just using that, I'm, I'm looking for stuff that has high traffic and low competition. But the one element that I think would really help people starting out is Google Trends, and uh, because on top of having whether something is competitive or not, um, Google Trends will have the ability to determine if your market is growing or decreasing. Is your is your traffic is your interest. Uh, has it been increasing over time, or more more specifically, are, is there certain elements uh, in global phenomena, pop trends that are making specific consumer products uh, trend really, really high? And and um, that's actually one thing that helped uh, uh, Kick Push Skate uh, with one campaign generate a little over eighteen thousand dollars in thirty days. And the the whole thing that's crazy about this is um, when I, Kick Push Skate was originally started to 
for skateboards and, and penny boards. And with this trend, the same audience uh, that that our skaters are part of this kind of like hipster lifestyle were, was uh, in a different product category, but the same audience. And so it's like by just being out there and and um, taking the risk and the time to invest, I would have never predicted uh, this trend, which we can go in more detail, Felix. But yeah. Um, yeah. For sure, yeah. I definitely want to talk about the product in a bit because, like you're saying, it's different than what you started with. Now, when you are looking at the competition, looking at Google Trends, I think a lot of times there's this conversation around, should you be first to market? Is it better to have enter a, an industry that already has competition in it? Because competition means that there's money uh, to be made. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Like, What's the right balance in terms of how competitive a, a marketplace or how competitive can you or should you uh, focus Focus on in terms of, of a, a profitable niche. Yeah. I, um, well, let's just talk about uh, Google AdWords, which is I, I think um, still a great tool. I, I, some people will, will say like PPC or SEO is dead, and I always combat and say as long as Google is the number one place where people go to search for things, then SEO and PPC will still be the uh, one of the best places to start. And so, um, on top of looking for traffic. You're trying to see if it's something's too competitive. One thing you can uh, literally put a dollar sign on is how much is it? What's the average cost per click to get someone that is just window shopping to look at your product? So, for example, if I'm selling a skateboard that costs sixty dollars, and I do some keyword research, and I and I and let's say the word you know a, re, a, a more of a, a, a specific phrase like um, uh, leopard printed penny board with red wheels. I mean, that's a pretty specific product. If mm-hmm. that cost per click is like $10. That's a, a huge red flag to me. Like there's no way it's so competitive that that product that it's not worth it for me starting out or because again, I'm working with my own $500 budget. Now, if budget is, doesn't matter then, and I really, really want to go for it, then, um, then I will. I, and that's more, I guess, a, a, a technical approach to analyzing, um, traffic cost. On AdWords, but I think a more um, logical approach you can do is um, search your product or phrase. Ten results are going to appear in Google. Click on each one of those on the first page. There's there's hundreds of reasons why those rank where they do, but um, just using common sense, analyze and look at each page. What? Why would Google choose those pages? Typically, the common sense answer is because they are the best answer uh, for that search uh, query. So, um, one maybe maybe the first page has beautiful images. Uh, maybe the second uh, ranking page there has all the reviews, and that's that's a that's a really important place that I like to look at uh, because even let's say if there is a lot of competition, uh, or the number one or top three spots um, are, are, are huge name brands like for skateboards like Vans is up there, um, Hurley, you know, uh, uh, all different types of skate, skater brands. Like how am I supposed to compete against them or Amazon's up there, which I think every Shopify owner is going to compete against Amazon. Um, take a look at the reviews. How many, what do the bad reviews say? What are the, what are the mediocre reviews say? Because usually just from other people's feedback, you can figure out how you can make your product better. And what are the current issues they have with the person who is ranking at the top and getting the most visibility. So those are kind of two ways to look at it from a technical standpoint, checking out the cost per traffic, and then the other standpoint of just uh, using your using your gut uh, and doing um, just manual research to figure out um, mm-hmm. what people are dissatisfied with 
the current uh, top contender. Yeah. So uh, two 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 questions here. We'll start with the first one about the, the AdWords research. So you're you're basically looking up your key uh, key terms, seeing how much it will cost to to compete a- after that key term to get an idea of how much it costs to acquire a customer. Now mm-hmm. you look at that number, you compare it against your budget. In your case, of five hundred dollars. Does it? Do you also look at it in comparison to to your the cost of the product that you're selling? Like how do you use it in that case? Yeah, I think the um, if anyone watches Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful, one of the first questions I feel like he asked for every website is, what's your customer acquisition cost? Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, how much does it cost to acquire a, a customer? And I think one thing that might help with um, budgets uh, it, or to think about your budget is for what's your profit on whatever uh, you know, if your profit's ten dollars, then you have to make sure you, when you acquire that customer, you basically have ten dollars less, hopefully, to uh, get that person so you can actually profit on the sale. So I, that's that's exactly how I think um, with with every campaign that I set up um, is figuring out. You know, my that's my my um, umbrella budget is five hundred dollars, but specifically per product, I'm thinking about what the profit margin is on each product, and then I'm that's the goal to acquire a customer is, uh, at least break even, um, or below starting out. Like, uh, I'm, I'm a realist. So I know usually starting out, uh, my goal is to break, break even. If I have zero data, it's hard. It's hard to do that. You're, you're trying to convert cold traffic, which is the most expensive way, uh, to, to bring people in. But, um, that's a really good point, Felix is, uh, uh every product's different. Every product's going to have different, um, um, profit margins. And, you know, for some, if, if, we're, if we're working with, you know, commodity items where um, the profit is so tiny, then one other factor that I'll throw in there to help maybe uh, um, with a stomach check on the budget is what's the customer lifetime value. So um, maybe it's a subscription service and it costs $10 a month. It might cost $30 to bring that customer in. But if you know that your average customer lifetime value is at least a year, then you'll know after the three, you know, after three months, you'll make that money back that it, um, it costs to earn them. And all this is very simple math. I think you, you can put an Excel sheet and any, any person starting out, um, it's a good way to, to figure out, um, which platform is working, if they should spend money on Facebook and Google. Everything is measured at the end of the day equally on an Excel sheet uh, to say how much, what, for every dollar that I spent, what did I come in and what products were sold and um, was there a profit on that? Did I break even or am I losing money and maybe that's not the right one uh, mm. to move on. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look, we looked at these reviews on the sites. I think that's a great idea. Even if you can't find any existing sites, Amazon's also a great place to look at reviews to see what you can do to improve on mm-hmm. the existing product. Do you remember what what kind of reviews, what kind of responses or feedback that you saw on other sites on on competitor sites that you took to heart and that decided to uh, go after? Yeah, I, um, and we're still talking about penny boards, is that right? Or skateboards? Yeah, let's say yeah. focus on that. Okay, cool. So, um, really, I, I think there was there's a couple things. First, the um, the price point based on um, penny boards specifically are are really expensive. If you think of what a penny board is versus a long board, a long board is much longer. It's more durable from, um, uh, I guess from a riding standpoint, from a cruising standpoint and, and a penny board is made out of plastic. And so, um, or, or most mini cruiser boards are made out of plastic. Um, and, and they're charging, Oh, it was close to $200 where the top competitors, 
Um, and um, I ha- actually happen to have a personal connection who makes boards um, in the Midwest. And uh, just from a cost standpoint, if we can get the quality just the same um, and and just give a better price point, that was a huge, um, um, I guess, a, a feedback point. Is like, mm-hmm. I, you know, the penny board's good, but it costs two hundred dollars. That's the same as my longboard purchase. So, uh, you know, why why are those companies able to charge those prices? This is one area in research I found out is because they really don't have big competitors online. Um, so it's not that they have a monopoly, but it's, it's no one else is really, uh, trying to compete with, with the big wigs. Um, so that was, that was a, a big, uh, uh, key there. I think the, um, from other things offered by, uh, the other competitors that I found, um, just from, it was less of a kind of a lifestyle product. And that's how my, my website was kind of marketed as yes, you know, we're selling, um, the, our product is boards. Our core product is boards. However, we're more interested in our content and our marketing about the lifestyle of what writing a board means, which, uh, you know, is enjoying life in the moment. So all of, so we were able to kind of upsell and think about all the products, um, that have to do with people who, who want to enjoy and live in the moment. We're, we're talking, you know, we're looking at active people, um, who like to have a good time. And I think if you break down the psychology of who you're targeting beyond, you know, this is the product. Think about why they want your product. Ask um, what what kind of person would use this product, and what other things does this person do when they're not using my product. So, it was that kind of uh, customer discovery research that I think gave us an advantage um, over some of the the big wigs that were currently dominating the market. Yeah. So you you need to focus on the lifestyle. Like, what other products could you upsell? What kind of content can you create to essentially add more value onto your brand? Add more value to to the end product that they're not just getting a board, but they're getting all of the this content, all of this uh, lifestyle attached with it. Were you able to discover that through what, what kind of research were you doing to to uncover that? Because I think that this is another angle that another point that entrepreneurs are stuck in, which is that they have a product that is maybe not necessarily a commodity, but there are existing competitors out there and maybe they don't have the connections to improve on the product itself, but they want to add other benefits like creating a lifestyle brand or creating content around it. How did you discover what it was about that your particular target customers that they cared about in terms of the lifestyle, in terms of the content? Um, I, I think this, what really helps me market in this um in this regard, it goes back to the beginning of, uh, I, I am one of these people. I am mm-hmm. one of these people who, who I am the customer essentially. So I know the customer very well. It doesn't always work like that. And, and, and for me specifically, um, when I'm not doing these side projects, you know, most of the businesses I'm marketing for, I'm not a customer. So there's a lot of research I have to do for this, um, for this specific project. I, I am the customer. So I, I know, you know, when I'm not skateboarding or, or cruising around, I'm doing something active like slacklining or playing spike ball or, you know, s- something else. So, um, the content came very naturally. Um, I think if you, if you are marketing a product that you're not a customer in, there's a lot more legwork, um, that, that has to be done. And examples I can give, maybe not specific to what we did for kick push skate, but, um, was, uh, targeting influencers, um, and, and interviewing influencers, um, that, that are the, maybe the thought leaders in that market, because, um, that person is not only your customer, but also has aggregated a huge P other, um, 
huge other potential customers with their with their content. They're the most raw and authentic content in your in your niche. So I think that's um, an area. And we did use uh, we did do a bunch of influencer marketing with Kickpushgate, but um, I it was it wasn't really more for research purposes. It, it was more for um, uh, we our lifestyle brand matched the, their lifestyle content. And so making relationships was uh, very easy to kind of help um, scale um, our uh-huh. efforts. Yeah, I love that approach of interviewing influencers because a lot of times we talk about interviewing customers, but influencers themselves have so, uh, well, they're just surrounded by all of, all of your customers, so they absorb so much of the information just organically by being around them. Now, any recommendations on how you can approach this? Let's say that a, a store is able to nail down an influencer, they have you know 100,000 followers on Instagram, and they mm-hmm. are sitting down with them to talk to them about the brand the lifestyle behind the products that they want to sell. Like, what kind of questions are important to ask? Yeah. Well, the first part of that question, Felix, how do you get in on the phone or um, being interviewed with an influencer? That's a very. It's hard. It's it's really hard. Influencers, you got to imagine, are busy people. They have their own businesses, their their own day to day. But one thing I think that it it does it in a way that is authentic and it doesn't come across as like, Hey, I'm really interviewing so I can sell more stuff. Um, is, is if, if you're, I'm a, let's make the assumption that this, uh, if you're in the, in a, um, relationship to try to reach out to an influencer, you're already doing other things like creating good content about your niche. Um, and one very seamless transition to creating good content is interviewing experts within the niche and who doesn't like to be interviewed. So I think one um, way to get a hold of influencers is, uh, and it can be as simple as a blog post with a backlink, which is going to help their influencers' efforts, um, is is to reach out to them um, and to ask for an interview. And the interview, um, maybe three fourths of it is is really truly about the influencer, but twenty five percent is that product insight. Um, and that customer insight that you're looking for. Um, and sure, that takes time, but I, I would say from the influencers that reach out for any website that I have, uh, when I reach out in a way that, hey, we're doing an interview segment where we're looking for experts in the field or in the niche who are inspiring people, um, um, most say yes. I mean, there's, it's rare to, to see an influencer that, that doesn't want to uh, try to reach more people, and then you're providing another outlet. And then if you're nerdy like me, I always throw in, and we'll do a, we'll we'll do a backlink from our blog to your mm-hmm. <laughs> to your web, you know, to to whatever your efforts are are, and that's always. If they if they're SEO savvy, I, I think that's uh, a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, coming from someone that interviews a lot of people, I think one of the best ways to get people to talk to you is essentially play to the ego, right? Everyone has the ego. Everyone wants to be appreciated. Everyone wants to give back. And by offering this opportunity to them, you are giving them value because you're giving them a platform, essentially. Even No matter how big or small it is, you are taking the time out to hear from them. Everyone wants to be heard to some degree. So I think that right. you know, coming in with that mindset, it's important that you're not just taking from these influencers. You are you should come into it with the approach that you are giving them an opportunity to share as well. And I think that that works r- really well. Um, so now moving on to the second part of this is what, what kind of answers are you seeking out when you are working with these influencers, when you are trying to understand more about the lifestyle uh, behind the products that you're, you're trying to sell? Um, Instagram is a great place to, uh, 
to, to do customer research on, uh, on an influencer. And without a doubt, if you just, any influencer, if you scroll down, maybe a couple scrolls, you're going to see products that they're using, whether they're doing it, uh, through a paid means, um, or just organically, this is, this is products that they use. Um, and if you're, if you're being really specific about your influencers you're reaching out to, you'll, you'll want to find influencers who are using maybe competing products. Um, and so I think that's a very natural segue to, to kind of ask, uh, so if I, if I am, you know, a kick push skate, if I am trying to find, um, skateboard influencers, um, or, or longboard cruisers and I, and I'm looking for someone who's in the lifestyle, maybe they're competing, uh, they don't have to be too big, maybe uh, semi pro they're doing tournaments or something. And then, um, I notice the products they're using and that's, a, that's a, when I'm interviewing them or, uh, I can, I can, that's an easy plug. Hey, I noticed on your Instagram, you're using XYZ brand. Um, what are your thoughts? You know, how long you been, how long you've been using there? Is that, is that your favorite board? Um, what, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Um, and that, and that way it comes across as like, Hey, no, I was, I was genuinely checking your content out and I saw this, um, versus, Hey, what's, uh, just a direct, I guess, product ask, which maybe would come across as too salesy, I guess, which you never want to do. Um, uh, you always want to seem like you're, you're providing value and through research, um, you've come to this discovery. I just, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of in the part of more just building a relationship because, uh, interviewing, you're making a contact with someone who can help you impact your business and maybe what you offer can impact them too. Maybe there's an affiliate relationship there in the future. But, um, if we think more long-term, which I think is a recommendation that every, uh, entrepreneurial marketer should always be reminded of, um, you never know what, how that relationship could unfold. It's not like there's, there should be an ROI on, on this interview. Really, you're, you're, you're literally trying to build a relationship. So being genuinely interested, um, and, and, and maybe having a little bit of bit, you know, business savviness to, to check out their Instagram, to see it, those products. The biggest thing we need to remember when we're talking to influencers is, is have a long-term approach. Um, especially if you feel like there's a relationship there, whether it's an affiliate, whether it's content share promotion, uh, sometimes in doing the first interview or, or outreach, um, there, maybe there shouldn't even be any kind of business ask. Uh, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't be thinking about an ROI on, on, on this interview that you're doing on, on this blog feature. Um, really the more prominent thing to consider is, um, can I build a relationship with this person, um, and, and follow their story. And at that right moment, you know, months later, um, then, you know, the bigger win I think is there, uh, if you think more long-term. Mm. Now, have you noticed that there, I'm sure you have, that there's different, uh, different types of uh, influencers on Instagram. You kind of have those general, I guess, uh, interest uh, profiles that are not an actual person. Of course, it's being run by a person, but uh, you know has hundreds of thousands of followers, but they're a general topic. And then, of course, you have your actual I guess, celebrities, the actual individuals that are, are out there. Do you see a difference between working with one or the other? This is my personal opinion. People may differ from me, but I think it's a way more uh, time effective to target people, uh, real people. Um, and as an influencer myself, uh, I've been on YouTube for a few years. I have over 80,000 uh, followers on my, on my channel. I have a dance channel. And uh, the relationship I have with my fans, uh, my top fans, I know them by name. They contact me on a weekly basis. And that is for any influencer out there, the, it, the relationship is so different than uh, an account that you follow for 
you know, your 15 seconds of inspiration from some quote. Um, and, and typically those aggregator type of social media accounts, they're going to charge you, um, uh, for it. And usually they, they have a lot less engagement versus a person. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm a big fan of targeting, uh, people, uh, real people, uh, for influencers. Right. Makes sense. All right. So now let's talk about this $18,000, uh, campaign that you ran that you're able to generate that kind of revenue in just 30 days. Now we were mentioning kind of teasing this a little bit earlier about how the product that you ended up selling was nothing related, not necessarily nothing related, but it wasn't a board, right? Talk to us a little bit more about the product and how did you discover the product? Okay. So the, how I honestly discovered the product is um, I, w- I watched the Packers uh, football uh, last game of the season. They they lost, and um, I, I don't watch news. I, I don't have cable. I was at my grandparents' place. And then when they flipped the news, um, it was all the talk about um, the Women's March. And my brand, uh, Kick Push Skate, is actually – um, probably more liberal in, in the audience. And I, I, one thing I noticed was that um, everyone was wearing these pink beanies with cat ears on them. And uh, so that's exactly how I got the idea. Um, uh, maybe an hour later, I was like, you know what? I like This would really fit in my audience. Yes, it's not a board. But my audience, again, it's that active um, and you know, uh, leaning towards the liberal side um, uh, of an audience and this might be a product. And I had no idea what would happen. Um, the first thing I did is I researched people on Etsy who are, who were handmaking or crocheting, um, beanies, not necessarily that had ears on them, but I asked to see if they could make them. Um, and then I actually hit up my aunt, uh, who is an expert crocheter, knitter, sewer, she does it all. And, um, I think within maybe three hours later, I had uh, commitments from, um, the people I hit up on Etsy and then my aunt like, yeah, we could do it. Um, little did I know, or they know that they were going to be making hundreds and hundreds of beanies. Um, so I, I set up, I think I had six, uh, beanies, um, and I created a collection on Shopify and, uh, um, maybe it was like 10 PM that night. And I created, um, just one Google campaign with 10, 10 keywords. And, uh, one, while I'm talking about keywords, I want to point out something very important. Um, having done AdWords for a very long time, a lot of people talk about keywords, but what's more important is user intent. And so the intent of someone that types in a keyword, um, is more important than maybe essentially what that keyword says. For example, um, how, how would I distinguish people that actually wanted to buy a pink beanie? in support of the women's march versus just learn about the women's march. So if if you just type in pink beanie, that could be someone typing that could have a t- uh, thousands of different reasons why they're doing it, they're window shopping, and more importantly, there's no way to know for sh- for certain that pink, they're typing pink beanie because of the women's march. If you have a keyword that is uh a long more longer tail phrases like pink beanie from women's march, women's march pink beanie um, women's pink beanie, uh, DC, you know, things like of that nature from, from the big March, then that's qualifying from the user intent perspective that these people, um, they're looking to either learn to sh- or to shop about a pink beanie. So I know if I spend money on that, I have a better chance of that person actually buying something. So I was very particular with my keywords. 
And then uh, what, another big point on AdWords where you where people waste a lot of money is they don't spend enough time in negative keywords. And so negative keywords, uh, for those who don't know, are keywords that if someone types in a phrase with your product and they also include a keyword that maybe is unrelevant or makes your product that uh, clearly defines them as a window shopper versus a buyer, then your ad will not appear. Doing ads without negative keywords is just wasting money. So I had my 10 keywords, but I probably had maybe 30 different negative keywords. Um, uh, so, so I know that, um, maybe, and th again, this was all a hunch that night. I had no idea that I would wake up with, um, $300 in sales the next day. Uh, but I, I knew from my previous experience of doing AdWords that this was maybe a good test run to see what would happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Now you took to Google immediately for this. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, focus in the in the entrepreneur e-commerce industry nowadays on on Facebook ads. What made you choose between Google versus Facebook in this particular instance? Great question. Um, I think Google's a safer place for me to start, um, especially if you think of what the, this whole pink bean experiment. It was almost completely different from the boards, and so I I essentially had. Um, little to nothing on data. And um, I always like to explain Google versus Facebook in this regards. Like Google is the best like psychic in the world and it understands our behaviors. And so um, I'm targeting on a trend and um, which is a behavior to want to go and buy something. So it made more sense to do that versus I could on Facebook um, I, I like to call Facebook the best stalker in the world. It knows all the things about you, um, who, you know, things that places you go like, like, uh, and things like of that nature. So it, I could target someone who was part of the women's March on Facebook, but I had no way to distinguish that that person maybe already bought a beanie, um, mm. at the time. Now, uh, Facebook pixel, which is a huge, um, way that, probably the number one way why I was able to scale so fast. Um, the data that I, and, and just for those people who don't know what Facebook pixel is, think of it like a vacuum. And so the more data that your Facebook pixel has, um, then the more effective your ads will be. Um, Facebook pixel in, is like a conversion piece of code that allows you to target more people that Facebook will try to optimize your ad for, uh, for your conversion or whatever your, your, your goal or campaign goal is. So, um, it's a really amazing tool to have, but if you don't have much data, it's, it's a lot like guessing. And again, you don't know if that person, um, has already maybe purchased your product at first. So you, I can target the right person I'm thinking of, but I had no idea if they were actually looking to buy my product at the time. So I thought mm. that's why Google was a, a better place to start because I could target user intent. Someone's going on Google and they're looking to buy my product and they're going to search one of these 10 phrases of, Hey, um, you know, women's pink hat with ears, pink hat with ears for the women's March. Someone that's doing that there, it's, it's very obvious. There's little, um, uh, variation to know that they, they actually do want to make that purchase. So I started with their, I woke up the, um, next day I had $300 in sales. And then I, and then I, um, set up some AB tests. I think I created, um, four or five ads then on Google. And then, um, then I think that first week, uh, I hit over $5,000 in sales. Uh, and again, this was all from, from Google at first. Now, for a a brand new site, a site that doesn't have much traffic, therefore not enough, not not a lot of data, do you 
typically want to start on Google to drive that that traffic so then you can collect the, the pixel data for Facebook for, for targeting later? Is that the approach that you typically take? For that is the I would say yes. That is the approach that I typically take. Um, there are instances where I'll do differently, and I think it all comes down to um, how, what you know about your product and service. Uh, do you know more? Do you have a better understanding of the exact person you're targeting? Then maybe Facebook will be better. Do you at starting out, or mm. do you is do you understand that um, more about? what the psychological behaviors of when someone is looking for your product, what they're typing in, what they're thinking, um, uh, what are the phrases they're going to look up to, to make your purchase, then maybe Google is a better place uh, to start out. Um, I, I think Facebook right now is a lot more cost effective than Google. And um, I, I don't know if that's always going to be the case. You know, the, the marketing digital world changes all the time. Um, you know, I, I talked to people who, were using Google um, ads like when they first started and they were getting like pennies on the dollar to, to acquire um, people. And, and, you know, the average customer acquisition cost on Google uh, throughout the, that first three days, it was like around $3. Um, so $3 get someone to buy a beanie that ranged from $11 to $33. Uh, and so that's, a, that's a bet that I'll take every single day of the week. Um, but I just knew at first that um, if I collected information from and data from Google and I accumulated that through, and I had all the conversion infrastructure from Facebook and all the other tools, um, I would get to a point where now instead of uh, quote unquote guessing marketing, I can use that data from Facebook to create lookalike audiences uh, based on order uh, orders and then use that to create campaigns. And I'd be much better off um, at, uh, converting people right away on Facebook. I could have done it before, but I think it just would have, um, maybe it would have been more costly to acquire customers uh, at the beginning. Right. I guess it comes down to uh, what you know about your business, about your industry, about your customers, and then what you need next, right? In your case, you knew what kind of search and what kind of keywords uh, expressed intent, you know what to go after. So you started there first, which then gave you the data you needed to then eventually uh, scale up and maybe a more cost effective uh, way on Facebook. So I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. One or the other, starting with one or the other, depends on what you what you what your current situation, what you know, and where, where you want to go next. Right. Now, now, were you? I think this approach obviously worked out for you because it generated all of this revenue. Were you concerned that about offering a, a product that was different from your core product, even though the customer, the target customer, was the same? Um, I think I I did have. Um, I, I think after the first day, I kind of thought, you know, is okay, I had $300 in sales selling pink beanies, completely unrelated to kickpush, the, the core of kickpush skate. And I, I didn't know at the time of, you know, thinking, is this a bad thing to, to offer this product? But then I kind of had to think more of, you know, what is the, again, the, the brand and, and the lifestyle of, of, um, of kickpush skate in general, you know, um, would, would this, uh, offend people, um, or, or, um, does this change what kick per skate is? And I think, um, really at the end of it, because this is a side project, uh, and mm -hmm. I, 
I took it more as a learning opportunity from an experimental standpoint. Um, one thing I forgot to mention is, you know, after I saw the news of all all of uh, the political trend, I went on Google Trends and I searched, and it was a spike like Mount Mount Everest. Uh, so that I think was um, it made sense to to utilize, I think, the brand of Kickbrusque. I don't think it was too far from um, kind of that hipster liberal brand. Um, uh, that that it didn't make sense. It wasn't too far of a stretch. And I, I think I, I didn't know for certain at first, but I think if you just look at the data, uh, the data points, people who uh, bought pink beanies, they also bought other products uh, on the site too, and and vice versa. There's people that were coming in from uh, the skater brand, but then seeing our um, campaign promoted through retargeting, uh, they they made purchases of that too. Um, so it it was I. I don't know if I had the foresight to see, oh yeah, this is going to make perfect sense. But I think I just took the risk and said, mm-hmm. why, uh, why not? I know what's what. Why not try and see what happens? Right. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think we don't want to spend too much time thinking about things, especially when you're just getting started. You just have to get in there, take action, and experiment. Now, if you are to take this this experiment, as you called it, beyond an experiment and turn it into more of a, a brand, a full fledged company, what well, what would your next move be? Because you know, the name, the brand is Kick Push Skate. People immediately, even before I visit your website, I can immediately expect you know a specific type of product to be offered. When you go to the site, there's a lot of you know beans on display, of course. Uh, what do you want to go next? Do you, do you, does that mean that you change the, the, the name of the brand, the branding to match more of a, uh, I guess, a broader lifestyle? Does it mean you want to focus back on skateboards or longboards or penny boards? Like what, what, what direction would you take next if you were to go beyond this? And the reason why I'm asking is because this happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, right, where they get started for the first time, they have an idea of what's going to be successful, and then something comes along that becomes more successful, but might lead to some kind of, I guess, dissonance between the original idea, the original brand, and what's actually selling. And they're kind of stuck on this crossroads. Do I continue to push with what my original idea was or go down this avenue that seems to be more successful? That's a great, great question. I I think um, the biggest thing with this project is to to stay flexible and adaptable um, without um, messing up the integrity of of Kick Brisket. And it's something, yeah, you're right. Every entrepreneur will face that. at one point from, if I look at, you know, what does kick push skate look like in, in months to come? Um, and if it wants to hop on another trend, I think where businesses, um, maybe are too conservative is, is they don't, you know, stuff happens in the world all the time, good stuff, bad stuff. Um, and as a business it's like, well, we only talk about business things. So it's actually not okay to have a voice or opinion about certain things, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or join certain movements. And I think, um, it's a risk. It definitely is a risk to do something like this. Um, but I, I, I feel like if another movement comes along and it's an item that's, um, relevant to the audience here, we're going to, we're going to capitalize on and try, try that again. And we're going to, we're going to try it again. Um, and at the core, you know, um, uh, we're, we're always going to, you know, selling, sell skateboards, sell penny boards, uh, sell, um, funny, witty hipster clothing. That's, we're always going to do that, but we're also going to keep an eye out, uh, as to what are the next trends that happen in our niche or maybe in, in a side niche that, um, we can capitalize on again. Uh, I think, one one thing to note too. So what with all the influx of traffic, there's really thousands of people that were coming. That um, an influx of traffic um, that had such a such a profound 
residual effect on all the other types of products that I had. Mm. And, th- and that's something that was uh, new to me, you know, doing SEO, um, all the influx of traffic, all the new backlinks that were aggregated from other sites that were linking to us, all the influencers who were posting our product, all of that. Now we're on the first page for some in- crazy competitive um, skateboard terms. Like, and and I not today. We're not competing yet with the big wigs, but um, this jumped our timeline from from you know content creating and, and SEO. I think months, absolutely months. So I think that's a, a huge benefit that um, goes unnoticed. And I'm glad we took the risk and did it. Um, uh, and, and I think in the long term, this fast tracked a ton of effort for everything else that we offer and back to the core. Yeah, I think it goes back to the, the old adage that uh, any publicity is good publicity, right? Just being able to get out there, get that kind of exposure should be good for your business, even if, in your case, it's not that far off, but even if it's not for a product that was a part of your original offering, getting that kind of press, getting those kind of backlinks and all that attention cannot hurt your business. So thank you so much for your time, Adrian. Kickpushskate.com is the website. You also run a digital division over, is it pronounced Uni Marketa? Yeah, Unimarketa. Um, we're we a couple of founders are here in Iowa, but most of our clients are uh, across the states. Um, I would say B two B, kind of credit unions, financials, and then um, uh, everyone else is a kind of one off. E commerce is a big portion, of course, uh, but we love doing that. I think one thing I want to note before we kind of hang up is. Um, Doing this pink beanie experiment, it, it kind of brought in a new audience, and the stories that we heard were, were really cool. It was cool to donate a portion of the funds back to some of the causes that were being promoted, um, and that's that's kind of the stuff. Like you know, when I created the site uh, in October, I would have never, I, ne- I never knew um, something like this would happen, and to be part of a movement. But I'm I'm glad it did, and that's one thing. A lot of people spend a lot of time thinking. Uh, thinking about doing something. And, and sometimes if you just take action, do the risk, um, the rewards are there. The rewards that you can't even fathom of happening will come by just being in the right place at the right time. Awesome. Love the message. Sounds like a, sound like a very exciting journey and excited to see what else you have in store. Thank you again so much for your time, Adrian. And thanks for having me, Felix. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. Just know your lead times for everything and know where there could be delays. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.